Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Truth and Dare. In this week's study, lead pastor David Fossil has us take a glimpse at dysfunctional families as we look at Abraham. We're asked to look at what happens when families are hurting, and we're challenged to see how faith can make a difference in our families. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some pointers for handling our children and our relationships. Good morning, Bay Hills. Hey, it's good to be back. I appreciate you guys praying for me. I uh, I, uh, I had surgery a couple weeks ago, and uh, I'm, my arms feel a lot better. My they got they took the cast off on Friday, so I'm not scratching and itching and driving crazy. But I got to tell you, for the last two weeks, I've been absolutely miserable with the cast on and with the sling and everything. Mainly because I've had to depend on so many people for things I didn't have to depend on them for. So I'm begging people to help them tie my shoes. I can't bend over and tie my shoes. You know, when I get in the car, I'm, you know, normally Sandy's the one that she's gotta, you know, put my seatbelt on, right? I go to the office and I'm, you know, asking Brigitte, you know, our office manager to, uh, to type, type emails for me, right? It's dinner time and I'm asking my wife to cut my food for me, right? I'm feeling, honestly, I felt like a preschooler for the last two weeks, you know, and I acted like it sometimes too. But that's beside the point. One of the probably the most interesting things that happened to me this past week with respect to the sling and with the cast and everything. Uh, on Monday, I decided to to take the staff out for uh, for Chinese. We hadn't done that in a while. So we went out to China Kitchen and we were talking, doing our staff meeting thing. And, it, you know, it came time for the end of the, you know, they brought the bill and everything. And so, you know, Papa picked up the picked up the tab and and I go to reach. I go to reach for my wallet and I realize that because of the way the cast is framed and the and this and this sucker i couldn't get my wallet out of my back pocket you know and as i'm doing this the whole staff is like <laughs> they thought it was hilarious you know which if i'm honest was very hurtful to me because i'm a very sensitive person and so finally i get the wallet i take the visa out i pay for this right and uh, and then we're ready to go i have my wallet and i'm thinking i'm not going to do this again i can feel that this it's going to be the just as hard so I, I, I made an executive decision. I took the wallet and handed it to one of the staff members. I turned around and just backed up. And I said, help a brother out, would you? You know, and they were holding it, you know, and uh, trying to decide what to do. And, and I, uh, I, I am grateful to announce that my relationship with our worship pastor, Joe Sacking, Joy Sacking, moved to a next level at that staff meeting. Yeah. You know, it's when your arm is busted up or when your back is sore, where you got a broken leg is when you most need to depend on other people. But it happens also not just physically. It happens spiritually and and emotionally when you're hurting emotionally and spiritually. You got to depend on other people this morning. I I don't want to talk to you about broken arms and things like that. What I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about broken families. Maybe that's not the best word. I I don't like that word because it implies that you can't fix it. Let's talk about hurting families. What what happens what happens when your family's in a sling? Well, what happens when, when, when you're hurting, when things are broken? You know, if this, if this thing called faith, if it doesn't intersect with, with hurting families, it's not, not a good deal. And I want to show you today that, that God, that faith can make a difference in our family. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 18. And uh, I want to encourage you to grab your study guide. I made a deal with my doctor that I didn't have to wear this around groups, right? So as long as you're not going to charge the stage, I'm going to take this sucker off. My doctor's name, her name is Dr. Wu, 
Dr. Wu. So every time she came in to see me, I'd go, Woo! She loves me. And she, <laughs> well, she would roll her eyes, but she loves me, you know. And so she, I made this deal. She was going to recast me on Friday. I said, please don't recast me. So what do I got to do? She said, you got to wear that around people, you know. So, uh, so anyway, so if I re-injure my arm today because of one of you, I'm, I'm going to file a workman's comp claim. So I'm just telling you right now, church is not going to have a building fund when I'm done with that. But anyway, I'm not trying to threaten you or anything. Yeah, let's get to God's word. Okay, it's going to take me a while to get to this. Okay, uh, so just stay with me. Uh, I want to kind of introduce where we're at in chapter 18, and, and then we'll get to hurting families and how God and how faith intersects with this. Here, here's how the story starts in, in chapter 18. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried down from the entrance of his tent to meet, uh, meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. He said, if you found favor, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go your way. Now that you have come to your servant. So this is kind of a big deal. This is about the fifth time that God has appeared to Abraham. So it's not a lot of times. And so it's a it's a big deal when when God shows up and has a conversation with, with Abraham, we know it's God because of the, the second word in, in the chapter, the Lord, all caps in English language, which is code for in Hebrew, it's Yahweh or normally pronounced Jehovah. So God shows up, but this time very differently. He disguises himself with two other angels and they appear in the form of humans. There's kind of reasons why I'm not going to get into it, but, but clearly Abraham knows who he's talking to because he bows down to these, these people coming to his compound. You, you don't do this in the Old Testament unless you know it, it, you're in the presence of God. So Abraham knows what is happening because they're in the form of human. Human, they, they, um, he, he goes about trying to show them hospitality. He has them sit down and get me some water and let me wash your feet and, and, and let me get you something to eat. And, and that's what happened. Now, immediately kind of after that in chapter 18, they're going to make an announcement. What I want to show you for a second is there's this laughter theme in chapter 18 and in these three or four chapters. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put in starting in verse 10. It says one of the three said to said said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son. Now since chapter 12 when we started this series God has promised Abraham a son and descendants and a great nation. Right. And so now 25 some years later it's going to happen in, in a year from now you're going to have a baby. So this is, this is kind of a big deal, except as they're talking and conversing, just like here, you know, you, you don't see what's behind the, the curtain right over here, but there could be something right, someone right behind. You don't see him, but they're listening. That's what's happening with Sarah. Look at the, the third line. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, but she was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. They're in their 90s, right? They were very old and Sarah was past the age when you could have kids, childbearing. So... Sarah laughed to herself and she thought, after I'm all worn out, in other words, I'm older and my Lord, my husband is old. Now I'm going to have this pleasure. Now I'm going to have a kid. Right. But it's not just Sarah who's laughing. If you rewind the tape, Abraham also laughs. Let me show you in chapter 17. Abraham fell face down. Another encounter with God. So he's bowing down to him. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, well, a son born to a man, a hundred years old. 100 years old. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? 
He laughs. It's not just before. It's not just after. It's at when they have the kid. So if you fast forward to once they have the kid in chapter 21, verse 2 and 6, Sarah, uh, Sarah became pregnant. She bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Notice, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears this about this will laugh with me. Right now, when you when you try and identify what is this laughter theme going on in these chapters, there are some Bible students that talk about, well, they they don't really believe that what's going to happen. There may be a, a little bit of that. But let me tell you what the big picture is and what's going on here. Take the words at face value. They think what's happening here is funny. They think they think it's funny. Now, if you were be in your 70s, 80s or 90s and you got pregnant, not so funny. Right. We would think it's funny, but you wouldn't think it's that funny. Right. They think it's funny. They've been wanting a kid for all these years. They're in their 90s. Sarah's going to have a baby. Right. And, 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 you know, just just think about the situation, the scenario with with these two. You know, when when the baby comes, Sarah, Sarah spends several times a day, you know, mashing, mashing the food for baby Isaac because he doesn't have the teeth and he can't chew. And then when she's done doing that, she she mashes food for Abraham because he doesn't have any teeth. They're both in their 90s. So when they take a nap, you know, when they take a nap, they drool. When they walk, they they stumble a little bit. They're old. So does their toddler. Same exact things. This is the same. The only couple in town when they go to the grocery store, they buy diapers for their son and for themselves. And they're not embarrassed about this. They think this is funny. You know why we know that? They're not embarrassed at all. Because when their son is born, they name him Isaac. You want to know what Isaac means in Hebrew? It means laughter. It means laughter. So all, all Abraham's softball buddies from years gone by would come over to the house and they go, Abraham, is it true? Abe? Yep. That's right. You got a little boy. You know, you want to see him? Wait. I'm coming. I'm coming. Here, let me show you. Here, his name is Giggles. <laughs> they think this is funny. They think it's funny. Let me say this. You, you have two options in life. Two options. You, you can be the person that laughs with God. There's a lot of funny stuff in life. There really is. Uh, he's got a sense of humor. There, you can laugh with God. He, honestly, some of you, your faith journey, your spirit, that's funny. It really is. The fact that some of you are here today, that's some funny stuff right there. If, so, if someone 10 years ago had said, you know what? I think one day you're going to be, you're going to be one of those Jesus freaks people that go to churches where they sing and a couple people raise their hands and all that. You would have been like, that's the funny thing. <laughs> that's funny. Look at you. You're here. That is funny. You can either be the person that laughs with Jesus, that laughs with God, or listen really carefully, or you can be the person that laughs at God. You want to know what that person's like? That's the person who who reads this book, who understands what it says, who has clear a clear perspective on what God wants them to do, and then they leave here and they do whatever the crap they want, and they mock him. You laugh with him or laugh at him. It's really subtle, but man, it's a big difference. Be like Abraham and Sarah. 
there's some funny things going on in our life and how God is working. The story continues on in verse 8. And you got this big theme in verse 7 and 8. It says, Sarah added, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have ever thought that? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And then they've got this theme of, they make a big deal of him being weaned. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. What's the big deal there? The big deal is that in this day and age, in this culture, uh, moms would normally breastfeed their children at least until age three, normally till age five. And the reason for that was for safety purposes. Even in that very early age, they understood that the infant mortality rate was off the, off the hook in those days. And so they wanted to give the child every single opportunity to survive. And they had a clear understanding while they didn't have Kaiser in those days. They knew that the best chance was to make sure that kid was as dependent on the nourishment that a mother's milk can give. And so that's why they would breastfeed as long as they did. In fact, some families wouldn't even name their kids until age four or age five because they didn't want to get attached just in case the kid didn't make it. So being weaned was that was the that was the idea to the community. This kid's going to make it. This kid's going to make it. And so after he's weaned, they have this big party. This great big party they've been waiting for for 25 years to have their own kid. And they spare no expense with this great party. I mean, they both get on Facebook. They send out all their Facebook invites. They go to, they go to, uh, you know, to, 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 to uh, Ikea and they get all the tiki torches for the compound. They go and they hire a caterer from in town to bring in Mexican. They got good burritos showing up. They got jumpers for the kids. They got streamers and they got balloons. They, they got this, this mariachi band that's going to be playing during the time. They spare no expense. They do everything everything they've been waiting for a long time a long time you know it's especially when our kids are young don't we hope for the best don't we believe the best i mean what parent doesn't but it's important to have a little bit of perspective even at this early age of four or five um, and if you're jotting down notes here's where i'm going my, my my things my notes this morning they're not short cute pithy sayings they're I'm going to drill down a little bit deeper, but I think that they're, I think that'll help you. Here's the first thing I want you to write down if you're jotting down notes is, my character flaws will either be duplicated in the life of my children or they will create problems in the future for my children. Let me explain to you what I mean here. Abraham, um, great guy, but he had some issues. Let me show you. Genesis chapter 12, we read this story when we started the series. Uh, there, he, he disobeys God, and that's not one period in his life. He heads to Egypt. And while he's heading to Egypt, he comes up with a boneheaded plan in terms of what he and Sarah should do when they get here. He, he says to Sarah, I want you to say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So, in fact, he does that, and Pharaoh takes Sarah into, his, in, into the harem. I mean, what kind of a boneheaded, stupid decision is this husband making? And finally he understands, I shouldn't have done that. And he takes her back and Pharaoh apologizes and off they go and they get things right again. You'd think he'd learn his lesson. And not so quick. You, you fast forward the tape in chapter 20. We haven't had time to include that, that, that story in our series, but in chapter 20, uh, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. And Abimelech, another guy, new dude, Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah. And notice the last three words mean everything they imply. And he took her. Okay. 
This guy has not learned. He's got a lying problem, right? Now, fast forward five, six, seven chapters. Abraham dies, Sarah dies, and then we read this verse. Isaac is now an adult man, and here's what we read. Genesis chapter 26. When the men of that place asked Isaac about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say she is my wife, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Question, where did he learn that? From Papa. And, and, and here's, here's the point. Who I am as an individual, who we are as parents, tends to be duplicated or multiplied in the life of our children or it creates problems in the life of our children in the future. So, if I am someone who has a temper, I shouldn't be surprised when my kids have anger issues. If I'm someone who's constantly cussing, I shouldn't be surprised when my kids start dropping F-bombs. If I'm someone who can't control my drinking, don't be surprised when the cop calls you someday when they're a teenager because they're drunk. Now, this goes both ways. It can be positive and negative. They can get your positive traits too. But in this case, Abraham and Isaac, it's a negative example, so I'm going to stay there. If I'm prideful, if I'm lustful, if I'm unreliable, if I'm hurtful, just go on there's a good chance I will pass that on to my children. So here's the challenge. My motivation to shape up is not just for my sake. It's not just so I'm a better person. It's not just so I am more pleasing to God. That's a good deal. My motivation to shape up is not just for my benefit, it's for my kids' benefit and my grandkids' benefit. Because if I don't stop the cycle, it just keeps passing on from generation to generation. Does that make sense? So work at it. Work at it. Okay? Your character falls are going to get multiplied into their life. Right? The story goes on in verse 9 and 10. And here's what we read. They start the party and it says, Sarah, the mom, it says, saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born. Now, if you haven't been with us, you're just joining us. This is the surrogate mother that Abraham and Sarah get in. They have a kid. And it's supposed to be her son. Notice how the language changes. She notices that this boy, his name is Ishmael, the the, the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking or was teasing her little four or five-year-old boy. She said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son for that woman's son, how conveniently she's forgotten. It was her idea. Now it's that woman's son. For, For 10 years, Ishmael was their son. That woman's son will never share in the inheritance with, with my son, with Isaac. So the party's happening, and you've got Ishmael. He's 13 now, 13, 14 years old, and four, five-year-old Isaac. And Ishmael just is teasing him. You know how it is. You know, little, little, little Isaac is hitting the pinata, and Ishmael's in the back with his buddy. He's going, what a loser. You know, that he's opening gifts that people have brought him. And Ishmael's like, that's a baby toy. Paul says in the book of Galatians that it's more than mocking. It may even be bullying. And so the mom, Sarah, does what any mom would do. She tries to stand up for her little boy. But she takes it a lot further. Abraham, get rid of that woman. And get rid of that boy. You've got till tomorrow morning, Abraham. Here's the point that that I want to make. You know, this isn't just boys being boys. This isn't just brothers rubbing, you know, they're stepbrothers. It goes deeper. See, for 10 years, uh, Ishmael had been told 
someday you're, you're going to inherit all this. Someday you're going to carry on the family line. Ishmael, you the man. Until Isaac is born and then everything changes. And they go, Ishmael, we take that all back. You know, it, it's going to be Isaac now. And, and Ishmael starts to see a change in Sarah's behavior and his, his dad's behavior. They start to favor baby Isaac. And, and here's my point. You see it on the screen. It's this idea that when we as parents show favoritism, what that tends to create in the kids is it creates sibling rivalry. You know, it's interesting. Kids and siblings can get along. And sometimes what, what creates the tension between brothers and sisters or whatever is, is parents treating them differently. And one of them takes offense to how mom or dad is kind of favoring one. And it creates that tension, which eventually is gonna, it's going to lead to family dysfunction. Now, I, I, don't, I can't imagine any parent does that on purpose. Wait, sometimes we don't even do it on purpose. Hey, how many kids you got? I got, I got three. You want, you want to see? Hey, we're in the living room. Let me grab a photo album. Let me show you. This is, uh, this is, this is Todd. This is our, our firstborn. This is a picture of a, this is a minute after he was born. And there, there's a picture of when the doctor cleaned him off. And, and there's a picture when we were in the room at Kaiser Walnut Creek. And there's a picture when we were getting in the car going home. There's a picture of his first night at home. This is when he was crawling. That's when he was in his high chair. And it just goes on and on, right? And, and then my, my second kid, let me get to that album. Me, this, is, this is Susie. She's so cute. She was a cute kid. You know, this is this is a picture of Susie, her first minute she was born. And, and this is her first day at kindergarten. And and this is when she graduated from high school. <laughs> and this is Andy. Oh, Andrew, what a t- what a tough kid. I love Andy. He's a little surprise child, but we love him anyway. This is this is a, this is the first minute he was born. And, uh, you, you know, we got to get more pictures of Andy. We don't. Have... <laughs> you don't do it on purpose, do you? And we chuckle and we laugh unless you've been one of the kids that feels less favored at home. Challenge to the parents. You've got to go out of your way to make sure that all the kids know that, you, that they are equally loved. And, and, and I had someone tell this to me, or maybe I read it years ago. It's not, I didn't get it, but it was helpful to me. And it was the idea of not necessarily and only focusing on treating your kids equally, but treating them uniquely. That was helpful to me because, you know, some kids are in the sports and some kids are in the art and some kids are great students and some kids are great singers. and so They're just different, right? Not just gender-based, they're just different. And so it's not just me trying to treat them equally, it's trying to treat them uniquely. But be very, very careful with parental favoritism, even after they move out and they're adults because m- many adult children still feel mom and dad have favorites, Okay. As the story goes on, we see what this creates in the life of Abraham. And here's what we read. It says, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy Ishmael. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever stress about your kids? Ever worry about them? I mean, it's not you being a worrywart and having... No, you just, you're concerned about your kid. You love your kid. Whether it's something they've done or what you're worried, you're stressed, you're distressed about them i I could flip it around do do your kids ever stress you you could say amen it's okay we know we know they do right someone sent this email to me a while back i thought it was awesome it's a chain letter for parents a chain you remember what the chain letters were years ago with 
all that thing. And here's what the chain letter says. Dear parent, this chain letter is meant to bring you relief and happiness. Unlike other chain letters, this one does not cost any money. Simply send a copy of this letter to six other parents who are stressed over their teenagers. Then bundle yours up and send him or her to the parent at the bottom of the list. In one week, you will receive 16,436 teenagers and one of them will be worth keeping. And then it ends. Warning, one dad broke the chain and got his own teenager back. (laughs) Abraham, it's completely different. It's not about trying to get rid of your teenager because they're driving you crazy. He's stressed because he's about ready to lose his teenager. He's ready to lose him. That word distressed in the Hebrew literally means to shake violently. To shake violently. You know, what we see is how Abraham begins to overcome and work through this issue. God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and the slave woman Hagar. Listen to what Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of a slave into a nation also. That's the Arab people and the Arab nations, because he is your offspring. If you're jotting down notes, here's what you want to write down. It's the idea that your prayer life says as much about your parenting strategy about your, as your spiritual maturity. Your prayer life says as much about your parenting strategy as it does about your spiritual maturity. It's not that hard to figure out when you see what's happening here. A parent is distressed. He's worried and concerned. And by the end of 13, he has some measure of peace in him. And the reason he has that is because he's talked to God. We call that prayer. It's called prayer. Um, my opinion is that if, if you want to be a great parent, you need two things. Well, number one, you need some parenting skills, generic, general skills. You need to, to know the difference between discipline and, and punishment. And, and you, you need to understand how to communicate to different kids at different levels. You, you need to understand gender differences. You, you, you need to, you know, you need to have them develop and the homework stuff. And you need to spend time with them, quality time, quantity time. You need to learn how to play with your kids and on and on and on parenting skills. Right. There's a lot of great books on there about parenting skills. The second thing you need to do is you need to have a parenting strategy, a parenting strategy. I'll give you one little parenting strategy that Sandy. I understood very, very early with our first child. There's a big difference between me trying to be my kid's friend and me trying to be my kid's parent. If I'm trying to be their friend, my goal is to get them to like me. Now, I want them to like me. But I was not placed in their life first as their friend. I was placed in their life first as their parent. And my goal is not necessarily for them to like me. My goal is to help develop them. That's a strategy issue, right? But let me say this about strategy. When it comes to parenting strategy, if you are not including God in your home life and in your parenting process and strategy, in my opinion, it's a flawed strategy. If there is ever a time... When parents need God in their family life, it's now. And I just, I'm not that good. You're not that good a parent. You and I need God to, 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 to pick us up. He's got to be the cleanup hitter because I don't always get it right. Does that make sense? So my question very simply is this. Do you pray for your kids? On a consistent basis, do you pray for them? And some of you may go, well, I've never, I guess I never thought about that. And I'm, I'm for that. I just don't know how. My, my goal is not to make you feel guilty. I, we don't accomplish anything when we go there. 
So let, let's just talk about how to pray. If, let me grab your study guide. I know some of you, not all of you, fill out notes. I really don't care if you fill out notes. I want you to take something with you. This week, there's something really good in your study guide. Most weeks, not so much. This week, really good. Bottom of the first page. Bottom of the first page. This is something you want to cut out. Put it in your Bible. Put it somewhere you're going to see in your wallet. My suggestion, 20 seconds on each bullet point for the kids. Watch. Pray for their physical well-being, for their health. Don't just rely on Kaiser to do that. How about rely on the, the great physician to help out a little bit? Just pray for their health, right? Second of all, pray for their intellectual growth. It's one thing to help them with school. It's another thing to ask God to help develop them. School and education is a big deal. Pray for that they would do well. Uh, number The third bullet point, relational connections. Pray for their friends. In the book of Proverbs, we're told that at a certain point in time in a child and a teenager's life, their friends become more impacting and influential than even their parents do. We've seen this, haven't we? We've gone through it, right? Pray for great friends because it will guide and direct them in one way or the other. Pray for great friends, right? Next one, pray for spiritual growth and maturity. Pray for discipleship. It's not just that they would grow intellectually. It's that their soul would grow. Pray that they would make wise and godly decisions. When kids are young... We make all the decisions for them, when they're going to go to sleep, what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, everything, right? The older they get, the more you give them the opportunity to make decisions. And you get to the point where, like, for example, my son now at college, he makes, what, 90, 95% of all his decisions, right? I'm not there to go, you know, you really should. Can't do that. Pray for their choices. Just, God, I hope they make good choices. Help them make good choices. The next one, uh, career. Pray for their career, their spouse, and their family. Pray for their future. I've told you this before. And when I was a little boy, my mom, she would tuck me in at, be- at, be- at bed at night, and she would, she, and she would pray for me. And almost every time she would, when she was praying for me, she would pray something like this. Dear God, I want to pray for that little girl somewhere in the world right now that will grow up to be Dave's, Dave's wife. Aren't we all glad that she prayed that prayer? Because if that's not, she's not in my life, I'm jacked up, which means you're jacked up, everybody misses out. Pray for their spouse. Don't just pray when they start dating them. Pray now, right? Uh, the next one, pray that they would avoid sin and stand up to temptation. Pray for purity. That's a big deal. You know, the more sin we have in our life, the more it just messes us up. Pray that they would trust and obey God no matter what, that they would have faith. This last one's a big deal to me. Uh, Pray that they would uh, see themselves as God sees them. Pray for their self-worth. I I love studying psychology. I understand Uh, self-esteem. But you know what? If I'm honest, sometimes I get a little sick when I hear people talk about self-esteem, if I'm honest. Because this is self-esteem. This is how it works. You're good. You're beautiful. You're talented. You're a great singer. You're a great athlete. You can do anything you want in life. What if that's not true? What if they suck at basketball? Honestly. And it becomes all about me and I and me and I and me and I. And let me take it one step further. Have you ever met someone who has too much self-esteem? It's called pride. Now, I get the self-esteem bit. I, I really do. I'm much more into my kids. I want my kids to have self-worth. Because self-worth is God seeing them. Them seeing themselves how God sees them. And every one of my kids and every one of us has unique abilities and worth. 
But we don't pretend like we're, we're something we aren't. Just a suggestion, 20 seconds on each one of these. I think it helps. And it says something about your parenting strategy when you're depending on God. Let, let's, let's continue uh, m- moving on. The, the story now transitions to the backside of the study guide. And what you're going to see on the backside is, is some insights or some ideas that I want to give to single parents. Because that's what Hagar becomes right now. She becomes a single mom. And here's what we read. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and he sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushels. And then she went off and sat uh, about a bow shot away where she thought, "I, I cannot watch my boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. She's um, kicked to the curb. She's asked to vacate the premises. She's rejected from the family. Imagine the shame. Imagine having Abraham show up in your tent after dinner time and saying, uh, Hagar, uh, Ishmael, tomorrow morning by 830, right after breakfast, you're gone. Imagine as as she wandered out of the compound as people were whispering. Imagine the hurt of getting to the middle of the desert and realizing I don't have enough food for my kid. She's homeless. She's broke. She has no child support coming in. You know, to me, this feels cold and it feels heartless. And what bothers me about these verses, honestly, it's not Abraham and Sarah. Because by, by now, by chapter 21, I figured it out. I can look at Abraham as, a, as, a, as the father of faith. I can look and understand faith through his life. But I've already understood by chapter 21 that this dude and his wife, Sarah, are they're flawed individuals. And so I'm not supposed to imitate everything they do. Right. It's, it's not them that I'm upset at. You know what I'm upset at? I'm upset that God seems to endorse this plan. That's what bothers me. A couple chapters earlier, when Hagar ran away, God shows up and says, Get, you need to go back to the camp. And now. He says to her, you know what? Time for you to go. And I struggled with that. I really, really did in my study time. For every one of us, but especially for single parents. Here's the first idea that you need to understand. When when life seems unfair. When it doesn't make sense. When you've got questions about what God is doing. That's the time you most need to walk by faith. Does that make sense? Um, I was flying in my study time. I mean, I was loving these chapters until I got to these verses. And I got stuck for like about 90 minutes to two hours. Because I was like, how do I as a teacher explain this? How do I make this sound good? I I was really struggling with this. And then, thank goodness, I remembered... Uh, that I had this book in my library uh, called Hard Sayings of the Bible. Hard Sayings of the Bible. And what this book does is every, one, every once in a while the Bible says quite a whopper and you're like, what is going on? You know, and, 
this book deals with a lot of those crazy passages or what do you think is happening? And I was like, oh, please, God, please let Genesis 21 be in here because I don't have a clue what's going on. And sure enough, Genesis 21, 14, was it wrong for Abraham to send Hagar away? And there's two, three, two, three pages on on this chapter. And, and it was helpful to me. And this guy, the author talks about, you know, don't focus on the attitude of Sarah. That was clearly vindictive. Focus, focus on what God's trying to do through Isaac and through Abraham. And OK, it's like, OK, that makes sense. Okay, that that is helpful to me. The other thing he says is understand that what's happening in this chapter is that God's trying to clean up the mess that Abraham and Sarah created three, four chapters earlier. That's what sin does. It just creates a mess. And I was like, okay, that's helpful too. And and then the last thing he says is understand that God's trying to bless both both Isaac and Ishmael. And he ends a little section and says this. He says, but just as in the case of Joseph, where his brothers intended him harm, That story's coming up in Genesis. Um, Just like that, God meant it for good. The good of both Isaac and Ishmael. And as you read the story of Ishmael, you see that he is blessed through this. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. This This was good stuff. This was helpful to me. Here's my point. When you have issues and you have questions and life doesn't seem fair for you, the problem is that you don't necessarily have a book on your shelf that's going to give you answers. And God says, trust me anyway. Obey me anyway. And Abraham says, but you know, God, Ishmael's my son. I mean, can't he just, no, I want him out. God, you know, you know what? They won't, I, I'll talk to Hagar and I'll talk to Ishmael and I, he won't, he won't do that anymore with, I, I want him out. Abraham, trust me. Abraham, do what I'm telling you to do, even, even though you got questions, even though it doesn't make sense. And that's what God is saying to some of us this morning. Because there's issues and there's situations in your life that don't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair with your finances. It doesn't seem fair at work. It doesn't seem fair with your housing. It doesn't seem fair with your family. It doesn't seem fair with your friends. And God says, trust me anyway. Do what I say anyway. That's the whole point of faith, to trust and obey him in spite of consequences, in spite of circumstances. It may cost you a promotion and people at school may tease you. Trust me anyway. When life doesn't seem fair, when it doesn't make sense, that's when the time you most need to trust him. It it might be easier to do that. If you understand how God plays a role in this in this section, let's put the next slide up there in the next point. In verse 17, we read that God heard. Heard them. And helped him out in verse 19, we read that God opened uh, Hagar's eyes and showed them where there was food. In verse 20, we read God was with them and took care of them. And the operative principle and the operative word there is God. One of the things single parents really need to understand is that that even though people bail on you, and I've identified who bailed on you in many cases, your ex-spouse. Even though people can bail on you, whether it's a family member or a friend, God sticks with you. God sticks with you. I, I read this story about two brothers that live in in the in the in right by the Sea of Galilee in Israel on a kibbutz. And they're, 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 they, they made this incredible discovery. 
incredible archaeological discovery. What they discovered was a fishing boat dating back to the times of Jesus. Incredible discovery. Well, what, why they were able to discover it, however, is because that part of Israel had gone through a three-year drought. The water levels had dropped, and because the water levels were dropping, this fishing boat became apparent. And here's the point I want to make. Um, it doesn't feel good when you go through a time of drought. It, it doesn't feel good when you go through financial period of dryness or family period of dryness or the job market has become dry. That doesn't feel good. But, but what I'd like to point out to you is that many times in that season of drought, God sets the stage to do some amazing discovery. And I, I'm talking about the presence of God. Some of you this morning feel like you're in a desert. And, and you need to remember God sticks with you, even though other people have bailed on you. He's with you. The story goes on in verse 17. Very interesting from a Hebrew perspective what's going on here. God heard Ishmael crying and the angel of God uh, called Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard Ishmael crying as he lies there. Now, you notice that I've highlighted in, in blue the word heard and the idea that God hears you. But I, I didn't realize till I started doing a little more digging. It, it, any simple study Bible, you got to get a study Bible. It's got it right at the bottom of the page explaining this. How much God is trying to communicate to Hagar, how much he's trying to communicate to some of us. I hear you. I hear you. I, I've also highlighted Ishmael, his name. Why? Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the Hebrew names in the Bible, many times they had significance and meaning and they were pointing to something or meant to teach us something or remind you of, of something that happened in your life. In this case, it all comes up. It all comes up because you start to discover that Ishmael has a unique Hebrew definition. It literally means God hears. So when he's speaking to, to Sarah, this is how it sounds in Hebrew. Let me show you. Um, let's put the next slide up there. God heard, God hears. That's the word Ishmael. God heard, God hears crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard, God hears crying as he lies there. So he's repeating over and over and over and over. You're in the desert and I want to know, I want you to know, I hear you. I hear you. I'm emotionally involved in what you're going through. When you bring your issues and your problems to me, right? They're not a bother to me. I, I hear you. With those issues and problems you're dealing with in the middle of the desert, I want you to know, God says to you, there's one of two things. Either number one, I'm going to help you fix it. Or number two, I'm going to give you the strength to get through it. But we always want the first one, but it, life doesn't work that way all the time. You need to be encouraged that God hears you. He hears you. I don't have time to talk about the second part. Be disciplined to make sure you hear God. That's the whole idea. of It's one thing to hear God. It's another thing to listen to him or hear him. It's one of the ways he's going to try and bless you and help you and encourage you and strengthen you. Let's wrap the story up in verses 19 and 21 through 21. Here's how the whole thing wraps up. God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well of water. And so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert, became an archer. He was living in the desert of Paran with his mother uh, and he, his mother got him a wife for him from Egypt. Now, just a couple minutes ago, 
I was making the point that who we are as individuals, we pass that on to our kids. And some of us as adults or, or young adults are sitting here going, that's why I'm so screwed up. Right. I, you should see my jacked up family. I mean, you know it. Some of us are sitting with them right now. We all know it. Right. And, and we, we, we take that into our into our adult years and, and we allow that to be an excuse for not allowing this book and God to do what he wants to do for you. This is a great way to end. It's a great way. Yes. Yes, your family life always sticks with you to some extent. It does. It influences you. It does. However, what we need to understand is this idea that being part of a dysfunctional family does not mean you cannot have a blessed future. That would be a good time for an amen. Right? Because most of us came from jacked up families. But that doesn't mean that that's what we have to look forward to. Here's how the story ends. Remember, we just left Hagar. She's discouraged. She's depressed. She thinks, I have no future. My kids have no future. You know what? Ishmael didn't die in the desert. He grew up to be a good-looking young man. Ishmael, he didn't grow up to be one of those bums that doesn't have any job skills and, and, you know, had to live at home with mom and dad. No, he grew up to be an archer. He had a good career. He wasn't so messed up that he couldn't, he couldn't have a family. No, his mother found him a wife from their, from their home country in Egypt. <coughs> Things turned out okay. They turned out okay. Let me end by saying this and directly to single parents. I, I just want you to know, um, I, I can't imagine how hard it is to be in your role. I find parent, parenting challenging, and there's two of us. And, and Sandy's a superstar parent. It's still challenging. And you've got all those responsibilities, just you. But I want to remind you that through the power of God, you can do this. You can do this. I, I want you to know this, too. Um, your pastor is proud of you. I see you out there. And I'm proud of what you're doing because I know it's not easy. But more importantly than what I think, I want you to know God loves you. God loves you. It's not going to be easy. I, I hope it turns around. But even if it doesn't get easy, you can make it. You can make it. Bay Hills, I wonder if you could help me encourage our single parents. Let's give them a big hand. I had a, I had a story to wrap up, but I, I, I'm way over, so um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this. George, give me my sling again. I'm gonna put that on because I know how some of you are. <laughs> but let me use this as my closing prop. If if you feel like your family is hurting and it's in a sling, don't ever discount the power of God and faith. To heal you and to strengthen you. Let's stand and close my word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you for how practical it is. Heavenly Father, there's, there's just so much today 
Many of us were challenged about our own characters and how we're passing that on to our kids unintentionally, both good and bad. Some of us have been motivated to work on some things. Some of us have been motivated to make sure we're treating our kids as fairly and as lovingly, equally as we possibly can. Father, it was helpful to me to be reminded that it's not just about the words that I speak to my kids, but it's the words that I speak to you in prayer about my kids. I hope many of us take those bullet points and really apply them and start praying for our kids. I just especially, Father, want to pray for our single parents. I pray that you would encourage them. Father, I pray that that you would remind them that they're not alone. They, They not only have you, but Father, sometimes... Sometimes we need someone with skin on. Remind them that they have brothers and sisters in Christ around them that care. Father, I pray that we would go out of our way to to notice and to acknowledge what they're going through. And whether it's through youth group or children's ministries, or it's just being their friend, that um, we can help in whatever way is possible. Father, help us be that kind of church. Father, as we wrap up, I, I would ask that you help make us, as a church, as a congregation, give us strong families. Give us strong parents. Father, I pray that you would make this community a community that that has strong families. Father, pray that we would lead by example in doing so. Again, we love you so much. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.